Welcome back everyone to our next episode of the latest thread. Today we thought it might be fun to just talk about a few random topics that we found in the one of the Gamble Facebook groups and uh, just fill our episode up with some good advice, answers to little questions that hopefully you'll find helpful. Um, as well, uh, because we are doing this, hopefully you'll get the hint that we want to hear from you guys. We want you guys to post your questions for us so that we can talk about them for you and give you four different answers for all of those questions and just help you as much as we possibly can. So, let you guys ready to get started? Mm -hmm. Let's do this then. Um, so our first question is uh, just about differences in machines. So I'll read the question to you. Um, I'm learning a valuable lesson and wondering if others have had the same experience. New machines are like new cars. They have a different feel. If they're brand new, they're much tighter and may even sound differently when they stitch. I'm finding that attention adjustment to what a seasoned machine may have been happy to stitch with, pardon my run-on sentence, can cause skipped stitches. Ask me how I know. Has anyone else discovered this as well? I mean, differences from machine to machine. It's an awesome question, and, and there are, uh, I think we all have two machines. Um, and I definitely notice a difference. What about you guys? Yeah, my, my two, my old one runs crazy tight, and that's where it's happy. And the new Vision 2 is crazy loose. In my in my brain, I'm like, this is this shouldn't work, but that that's where they're both happy, yeah. And and they run different, you know. I I don't find that they run different in regards to tension. I have two machines. They're uh, one's a Vision Two, one's a Classic Plus, and um, I keep I use a toe tension gauge to you know check my bobbin tension and I set them both exactly the same and that's how they like it. They do sound different and I want to say that the Classic Plus feels a little bit different when hand guided compared to the Vision 2 but in regards to tension um, I don't find the difference at all but again even though we're talking same size machines, a lot of times, you know, they are unique to themselves. And so what works for me may not work for Karen or anyone else. Yeah. I, and I would agree with that mostly. I mean, I have, I don't have them both set it up, but my old machine, um, it's really old and it just is different. I, I mean, and I don't know that you, I couldn't even say what the difference is, but they do feel very different. Mm -hmm. But I've also, you know, if, if I try someone else's machine, that's the same machine I have and the same, you know, everything, it'll feel different. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why that is. If you're just used to the way, I don't, I don't know what that is. It's kind of weird to me. Yeah. They do feel different. Yeah. That's so, like, if you go to a show and, you know, I stitch on 26, if I'm at a show and I stitch on the 26 of it, it's just different. It's either it's lighter or it's got more resistance. And yeah, I, I don't know why. Well, keeping in mind too, that it, you know, uh, whoever was posing that question, you know, it would be interesting to know 
um, if they feel different, if she has different wheel systems on both of those machines, because obviously, you know, there's a difference between the, the newer wheel system, the breeze track compared to an older. So that would affect things as well. And I, I think they are kind of like cars like that. You have to break them in when you get a brand new one. Like oh, yeah. testing hours on it from, from the factory, but I think you still have to break it in or you have to get to know each other. Maybe, you know, I don't, I don't know how it, you And it's like um, going from one thing to another. So, you know, you'll think like to me, I all think, did the other one do that? <laughs> I don't remember. Cause I didn't really pay attention, but this one seems different. You know what I mean? It's just a, I think, I don't know. It's just, Different. Yeah. Or <laughs> well, even you get used to it, it's, you know, it's the new normal. Mm -hmm. Or even if you didn't quilt for a few days, you know, you can, you know, you have to get in the groove first again because it feels like the machine is like, what happened to it? <laughs> Nothing. It's <laughs> out of sync. I think it's kind of like, you know, if you have a couple of kids and you know, if, if all is doing well and they're out their own personality, you kind of leave them alone and let them shine on their own. Mm -hmm. um, you, you've got to, you've got to treat each machine individually. I mean, you can follow some, some good guidelines. So for example, our, um, our toe gauge that we use for testing our bobbin tension, we keep that the same for both machines, but the top tension is different on both of them. It's um, much tighter on our Statler and much more loose on the vision. And, and so if, if there's something that happens over on the Statler and I feel like, oh, okay, well, let's just change it to where, that's where it's supposed to be. It's where the vision is. And it's like, no, it's treated as an individual. And if things are going well with it, then, then leave it alone. Um, but, but yeah, there is some differences between one machine to the next. And, and I honestly think you need to just kind of honor that. And if they're working well, don't make them try to be all the same. Yes. Yeah. You have to adjust. Well, the <laughs> well, but the problem is, especially if you're a newer quilter, you know, you worry about every little thing. So you think you didn't do something correctly, you know, not recognizing it's, you know, it's the machine. It's okay. If it looks good, yeah. then, you know, yeah. like, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So. Right. Yeah. When it all comes down to it, at the end of the day, if your tension is good and you're happy with the result, then right. don't make it be like another one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So, um, oh, and I feel for this next one. Um, I remember seeing this picture, uh, I think it was last week, and my heart just went out to Robin. Um, she says, I need to vent. I'm really frustrated and curious if this has ever happened to anyone else. Focused on the top as it was sewing to avoid issues, pleats, waves, etc. Got to the last row of the quilt, she realized the backing has a pleat down the back. Yeah. <laughs> Seven years, I have never had this happen. Emoji. That <laughs> face emoji. So, oh my, yeah. And I, I, that is, it still happens to us. It happens to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, Particularly when I have a quilt that I've loaded and tried to load with the seams going vertically. Mm -hmm. Because there's that gather that can happen if you don't, if you're not careful about smoothing that, that backing out. Um, what are your guys' tips for fixing this kind of problem? I rip out around it. 
just that area of the pleat, yeah. a little bit in each direction. Rip it all out, whether it's multiple colors or not. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I steam the crap out of it from the backside. Mm -hmm. Starch. Do you use starch? I use mm -hmm. some spray starch and a hot iron to shrink that fabric up. And then I go back and I quilt all the little pieces back together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, if, if it's a big area, would you baste? If it's a large area, you could baste to keep that. If the steaming didn't shrink it up, but usually that it, it's because it's just a little sag in the backing and you yeah. know, you're pulling, it still doesn't get it out. But if, mm -hmm. if it's still a little saggy, yeah, I'd baste it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had uh, pleats in the past, knock on wood, not for a really long time. Because, you know, you take all the precautions you think you need to take when you're loading, like Sharon said, you know, watching with the seams. But, um, and that's one of the reasons why I float my quilt tops, because if, especially if it's a large quilt that, and the backing was pieced in three sections, or with multiple pieces with lots of seams, I want to be able, as I roll, to lift up you know, and the batting and the quilt top and make sure that uh, backing is still where it needs to be. But the pleat, it can happen even after you do everything you can, especially if it happened to me with really busy fabric. And I literally, even though I looked, I did not see that it started to to get askew and, and, you know, start to create that pleat. And uh, I've dealt with it different ways. I've literally ripped out rows and rows if it was a panograph because I just, you know, didn't want to, if it's just a small pleat, you know, an inch or so, um, and, you know, that's all it was, then, you know, I've um, hand-stitched the pleat mm -hmm down and uh, I let my customer know, you know, that, you know, because it wasn't for me to hide it, but I felt it wasn't, you know, affecting, you know, the outcome of the quilt, but I still let her know, you know, that it happened. And, you know, if she had wanted me to rip it, I would have. But so there's different ways to either prevent or correct it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Typically, I think that it happens more with piece backings more than big one pieces, especially if the piecing is on a uh, different grain and if there's like a row of orphan blocks or something in the middle that changes the grain of that whole back. Right. I've also had it happen with different weights of fabric in the backing. Mm -hmm. You know, if they use, yeah. you know, part cotton and part batik, for instance, because, you know, there's a difference in weight and that has a tendency to, the, the way it's put together to, you know, want to try to create some something back there. I had it happen a lot more before I fully basted quilts than I do now. And I think that had a lot to do with it because you know, before I would just quilt areas and you're, you're pushing on that fabric and you still have this unquilted area, you know. So I think now that I based more, it happens less. But it's still I've, <laughs> I've only had it happen a few times and it's never been a customer quilt, which is a good thing. So if it's my own, then clearly I don't do anything about it. <laughs> but 
Um, a couple of times it's been on a, like a show quilt where, you know, clearly I probably need to take that out. So I'll rip that out. But what I do when I go to fix it again, because now there's that extra in there. So I'll wedge batting under the, between the, the quilt and the take up bar. Do you, if that, you know what I mean? And then it tightens it up just right there until you can quilt it. And then you pull that batting out. That's a good it, tip. You know, yeah. it really helps instead of, you know, sometimes you like, I'll just try to hold the side and pull it really. <laughs> this kind of quilting. Yeah, it's like not <laughs> the best idea, but you know how that goes. But it's we've just, all done that. So. <laughs> well, but also if it's a larger area and you spray it with either starch or whatever it is that you're using, and while that's drying, I totally crank the tension on the backing, you know, totally till it's about to pop off with the pins. <laughs> but, you know, trying to get that, you know. Stay flat. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and I will say in my case, I know exactly why it happened every time. And it's because I was lazy. And I'm like, yeah, you know. This backing's wrinkled, but I'll pull it tight enough. It'll be <laughs> the end. And I forgot to even look, and it was like, eh. It's oh your less. It's a lesson, right? Yeah. It happens a lot on my samples because they're smaller, and I'm like, I don't need my side clamps at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure do. <it's> worse. <laughs> check every row. Check every advance. Right. And and when I don't, that's when it bites me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there's other people that have a mirror back there so they can take a peek. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, because I don't know about you all, but I'm getting a little too old to be crawling under there to make sure it all is well. That's you why. You just... wait till it rolls up on the pickup bar and you get that horror. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. No. Yeah. Even worse is when you roll the quilt and you see the seams of the piece. Uh, yes, it's like. What? <laughs> it happened to me one time with the customer quilt. I was brand new to long arm quilting. It's like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. panicked. I've only done that one time. And oh. it was enough of an agitation that I will check and double check because I'm not going through that again. However, it happened the second time. And the reason was because she pieced her back and she pieced it incorrectly. And I just yeah. looked at the one section and, you know, the other section, she pieced it backwards. So oh, I would have trimmed that four and said, now you have, you have a little fringe there. That's <laughs> <laughs> you know, isn't it funny how, you know, you do it one time and then you're like, okay, I'm not going to let that happen again. But then there's a new thing that happened again either. And I always think, when is there going to stop being always something else? When is there going to be a time where it's just no more weird things that I have to remember not to do again? Well, and it's then possible. if there's that many, you forgot what they were. So you start at the beginning and start making the same no. mistakes. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course. <laughs> it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It keeps you on your toes, and I think that if those things didn't happen, we might, like you say, you just get lazy, right? Yeah. So I always feel like I'm so lucky to have a job that I absolutely love, and so if the worst part of my day is picking something out and requilting it, 
I'm still, ha I, you know, I still have to be thankful for that. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I'll, send you them. I'll send you all my ripouts then, since you're so thankful for them. <laughs> I love the fact that time warp, 20 minutes of quilting is like three hours of ripping. And I'm like, how does, how does that even happen? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. You've got to put some tunes on. So so here's a question. Do you guys take the quilt off the frame to do the picking out, or do you leave it on? I, I loosen my rollers and roll it out so it's on my table, and then yeah. I bring my stool and I sit and do it on my table. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I just pick it where it is. It's hard on your back, isn't it? It is. That's why we bring it's a big section over. to take it off, but if it's not smaller, I'll leave it on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like the on there. I'll take it off if I'm forming it out. Yeah. <laughs> Send it over to me. <laughs> if you're farming it out to Canada, they do rip outs for me. But you'll never get it back, Karen. You have somebody that does rip outs for you? Get out. Wow. Oh, gosh, go figure. Okay, with quilting. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. I have somebody that does my bindings and I pay her with quilting stuff. Okay. That's, mm -hmm. I just like, I feel like I'd be punishing someone to just stay here, rip this, rip this all out. I had a big, I had uh, the Civil War love letters that has 121 paper piece, six inch blocks. I love all those little pieces. And um, uh, I don't know, this thing was, it's probably 110 square. And uh, it was before I started to long arm and I had somebody quilt it and I was really unhappy with how it was quilted. And I started picking it out. And I did have a, a good friend, a BFF, who took it off my hands and took it away from me. And she gave it back to me a few weeks later and it was all ripped out. Yeah. Wow. And I loaded, reloaded it and quilted it the very same day I got it back. I was so excited. Yeah. I do my own little rip outs, but if it's the whole quilt, you know, I'm farming that out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's more painful to pick out something that you're just not satisfied with this with the quilting versus the tension is bad or there's a pleat because the tension is bad it can be somewhat easy to pick everything out right, right. Mm -hmm. so shall we move on to another question before we take a break sure. this could be probably a quick one um, so the question is I have a top and backing that I want to load on my gamel but I don't want to use batting has anyone in the group ever done this. <laughs> apparently in florida people don't like batting <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's thin you're fighting with tension the whole time it's thin mm -hmm. usually i suggest putting a piece of flannel in there just for yeah. something you know but a lot of people want no batting and then it's like a see-through quilt it really is you can see everything yeah but there's no yeah. place i think there's no place for the tension to be yeah. No, it's flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we used to have a lady that made these little postage stamp quilts, mm -hmm. like tons of them. And um, she just would get the piece of flannel in there. And it was fine. I mean, you know, there's at least something in there to kind of some place for that not you know, to connection of the top and the bottom to be. But I didn't have a, it's a place for that stitch to form. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would just tell people, yeah, we can do it. But if you if there are tension issues, that's there's not nothing I can do about that. And usually when you say that, they're like, okay. So what's the lightest weight, breathable yeah. batting that she could use? Right. Mm -hmm. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was a cute little thing. Yeah. Hmm? Ava, any thoughts on that? No, I don't. I've had people ask me about it, especially if they use um, fleece or, you know, as a backing or minky, you mm -hmm. know, and they feel, well, that's, you know, substantial enough, you shouldn't need it. But I always suggest they use either a very thin batting or flannel, like you already suggested. Pardon me. Bless you. So... <laughs> But I've never quilted something actually without anything, so no. What about more than one layer of batting? I, it's cold here in the winters, and so our winter big <laughs> our our big winter quilts. I have um, one that has eighty twenty and a layer of wool on top, mm -hmm. and then I have another one that's two layers of eighty twenty, and it's just really it's got a nice weight to it, mm -hmm. uh, especially on a big quilt. Um, it just feels like you're a little bit more cocooned, I guess. Yeah. It's I, I have one that's two layers of 80-20, and it's heavy. Like, when mm -hmm. you wash that, it is heavy. <laughs> it takes a long time to dry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like a heavy quilt. Yeah. Like I want to feel like it's on me. You know what I mean? Not, yeah. I Wait, made one mm -hmm. that was just wool, and I was like, oh, this is like nothing. I don't like it. <laughs> no sleep security. <laughs> no, and it actually became our summer quilt, not our winter quilt. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, the wool's good both ways, isn't it? Yeah. It's probably the same thing than the people liking the weighted blankets, mm -hmm. you know, for, for that same reason. But, you know, there's a drawback, too, which has nothing to do with the uh, double batting, but, you know, in regards to it being, heavy. I just finished a customer quilt and it was for her three-year-old uh, granddaughter. It was good queen size and she provided warm and natural. And, you know, it was a scrappy quilt with 500,000 seams. So that adds weight to it by itself, you know. You know, and she said, wow, that's heavy. I said, yeah. You know, that's why, you know, she said, what could I have done differently? And I told her, you know, it's a fine batting, but, you know, in regards to the weight, you may want to consider a blend next time. But, you know, so that's why we have the different battings for our different likes and dislikes. Mm. We have options. So I think we're going to take a quick break here. We will uh, pop back with uh, some more great questions. Hope you enjoyed our quick little break got yourself a refill on your tea or coffee uh, we have a few more questions that we thought might be good to kind of lump together because they're somewhat related 
and we thought it might be a, a good idea to just address them as a whole. So we'll just I'll show you the questions and then we will talk about them. First one is, I might just be stubborn, aren't we all? Uh, I hate to change needles unless broken, as though they are precious and expensive. My last quilt, I broke a thread, I broke thread a lot, wondering if changing my needle would have solved it. So there's our first one. The second question is, why does my glide thread shred on my gamel vision? I use the funky pigtail thread guide and I'm quilting on batik. Tension and stitches look great, but a few birds nests on the back as well help, please. And the last one, it's a great follow-up to the last one that we had. I'm working on a batik quilt and my thread has started to break. What size needle does anyone use on batiks or any other suggestions that would be appreciated? <laughs> I felt like if we answered one of these, we'd answer like a little bit of all of them. Mm -hmm. So when do we change a needle? <laughs> um, thread shredding, um, size of needle on batik. Any other petite tips? Um, I'm worse for changing needles. <laughs> I hear when I need to change it. <laughs> so what do you hear? What it, it's almost like it, a normal stitch is like you can hear that ripping of yeah. the fabric, and it's, it's like, like a pop almost. Pop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I go, oh, I guess I should change the needle. <laughs> Or just kind of like a thud, almost like a... Yeah, uh, it, it's a definite difference. It's laboring, like. Mm -hmm. It's to do it. almost um, ripping that fabric. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, changing the needles, you know, there are some guidelines that are given by the manufacturers of needles, of course, you know. And, you know, they have their reason, for sure. But, you know... As she said in her question, it's not as though needles are expensive. No, they're really not if you think about it. But I'm right along with Karen. I do not change my needle um, because there's no reason to unless I hear that sound. Or sometimes, you know, like she also said in her question, you, you know, you have more thread breaks or skipped stitches, you know, some weird stuff going on that has no explanation of its own. But, so then you may want to, you know, look at that and then I might change my needle. Thread shred though, if I'm having a lot of thread shred, I'll change my needle right away. And that's so it's, it makes no sense because like I'll wait till it's dull as can be. But if I'm thread and shred, it's most likely because there's a little tiny burr. Sure. Eye of that needle. Get rid of it. Mm -hmm. I'm the same. I, I, I just wait for that to hear it. Mm -hmm. I know that's terrible, but I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I forget just, about it until you hear it. It's like right. You you don't change your rotary cutter blade until oh, you yeah. have the yeah. in your arm. Yeah, you'll do it five times. <laughs> and I'm like, I have a whole pack of, and you don't blades. even realize it. Oh no, I know it. Just change it. Yeah, oh, you do? <laughs> change it, it's like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and like you, you dreaded changing it, but it was a whole 45 seconds of your time. Right. <laughs> I'm too busy. <laughs> I will say, too, on the needles, if I do like decorator fabrics, I will change the needle after it because, boy, that stuff is really, usually it's like weird 
fiber content. It's not cotton. It's not going through there easy. Um, so that's, and then one other thing too that comes to mind for me is going back to one of the earlier questions of the two different machines. So my old machine, yeah, I didn't change the needle unless I had to then either, mm -hmm. but it would tell me and I didn't even have to hear it. It would just like maybe every foot or so it would throw a loose stitch, just one, mm -hmm. you know, where it's not quite tight down to the fabric. And I'd say, Oh, need to change the needle change a needle and it's fine so yeah but you all should be changing your needles <laughs> yeah, I was I think that's, say. that's important because to dis distinct because um you know we should be doing what's recommended until we get to the point where we're experienced and comfortable enough to be able to tell when we can break the rules right and so yeah. we yeah. we're up here we've all been quilting for several years and we can you know kind of get away with that a little bit but if you're just starting to eliminate as many frustrations and problems as possible, a new needle over quilt is not a bad rule. No. no. Or if, if you're putting up a silk quilt, change your needle. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So um, particularly with batiks then, the size of needle was a question. And I think that instinctively, I remember when I was first struggling with batik quilts, I thought, because that weave of the fabric was tighter, I felt like I needed a smaller needle. And, and I was using a four and went to a three or three and a half or something like that. And the problem just got worse. And so instinctively we think we needed more delicate needle to get through that tight thin fabric, but it's the other way. And you know, yeah, I've gone up to a five. I always use a 4.0, but I've gone up to a five. But I think it's just batiks in general. Like, I mean, they use wax in the production of these batiks and all this stuff. And sometimes the, you know, the bigger hole makes it life so much easier. That that bigger. Well, mm -hmm. It can. It, if you think about it, batik is like a piece of paper almost because it's so tight, mm -hmm. right? And the more tension is that's on it, the tighter it gets. So when your needle's going through it, it's not making, especially if it's a smaller needle it's not making as big of a space for your thread to hide in that little groove on the needle mm -hmm. and safely get through that fabric. But if, if you're using that, if, if you are experiencing that shredding, it can be the actual batik fabric that's so abrasive against your, your thread. It's almost a good idea to change your needle just after every batik quilt you do. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Or the four. <laughs> I never change it. I did it one time to a smaller one and I hated how it felt when you hit a seam. You could feel that needle flex and I'm like, no, I don't, I don't like that. Um, because you're waiting for the snap after the flex. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't want that. Um, and the one thing I, I personally don't use batiks. They're not, they're just not my thing. But if someone has a quilt, then obviously I have to quilt it. And I think that what I found is that you're never going to get tension on batiks that actually looks great. Mm. Because if you, I'll do it. And then when I look at it, it looks funny. But when you actually look at it really close, the tension is fine. It's because of the way the fabric is. Like on the back, sometimes I'll look and think it looks like it's laying on top. It really isn't. It's that that needle is like, you know, cotton, I think it finds its way through the weave. 
Mm-hmm. But he gets punching a hole through that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it makes like a, it's almost like fabric comes up and now the thread's coming out of it and it makes it look like bad tension. When yeah, it's, it's not, it just, it, it's not pretty. No, like, it's not. Get right up onto it's, your stitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's especially frustrating when you have a quilt top that's got cotton and batik in it and you can see the difference in the stitch yeah. from the line to the neck. Yeah. yeah. And so I use of- a size 18 needle, you know, for all my quilting. I just don't change the size of it at all. And, you know, keeping in mind using a bigger needle, especially on a boutique, should you have to rip, which of course we don't, you know, the holds go away much harder, you know, because like uh, Jody said, it's literally punching a hole through there rather than going through the weave of cotton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, well, the other part of that question too, and is um, she had some bird nest on the back. So I, I mean, I don't think the question is so much a concern because she says, what is my glide thread? I don't think it's so much about, Karen and I were talking about this yesterday to kind of get ready for this, that, that the keyword isn't, isn't the kind of thread that she's using it. Um, but but the bird's nest on the back it well, can be, I, a, I, be a totally separate thing yeah and I kind of left I'm like you can't have good tension and bird's nests so it's not truly good tension if you're getting continuous bird nests mm-hmm. you know what I mean? and where are those bird's nests happening right are they happening um, at the start of your stitching line or are they happening randomly throughout like is your bobbin just barfing out a a big spew well, ran- randomly or is it just at the start of the or is it in a pattern like is it every six or so inches and I mean you gotta think about your direction of your quilting because if it's every you think about how your bobbin spins mm-hmm. so maybe like it could be something as simple as as for anti-backlash spring right something all these little crazy little tiny yeah two dollar pieces of mm-hmm. stuff that you can replace might be causing that yeah yeah well, and just to a lot of times when you have attention, you know, people will say, have you rethreaded? Like, well, I can look at it. It's threaded, right? You know? <laughs> and then you do it and it fixes it. It's like, well, how did that happen? How did it come out of there? You know? Yeah, a little ball of lint in between your two discs. Yeah. <laughs> Almost 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Tiny little adjustments. And and a lot of that stuff, I mean, it's so hard to teach somebody every little tiny thing they're going to need to learn at the beginning. First of all, you're, you're not going to, we're not going to think of everything to teach somebody that. And second, the student's not going to remember that. Yeah. You're not going to remember all of that when you, when you've got a brand new machine and you've got to remember just how to load a quilt. Never mind. Okay. Now we're at this stage, right? So some of those things, you just got to take it at those are your learning curves and the, the bumps along the road and the, in your journey, right? Well, and the likelihood of you, um, you know, being able to figure out more stuff on your own is as you deal with some of those issues, no matter what they are, because then you understand exactly, you know, like you said, the way the bobbin spins and builds the thread and so forth. If you are just being told, you know, to address this one particular thing, you have to understand how it works as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, and it's easy for me to say, but it was not easy for me to figure out that it's in my best interest to know more about the goings on and workings of yeah. the machine 
itself. So some of that, you know, you should really figure out on your own and you, you're going to be a lot more, you know, proficient. You remember it better when you learn from. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing that gets me, gets under my skin is if somebody posts on Facebook, you know, I'm having thread issues. The first 10 comments are, Oh, it's your timing. Yeah. <laughs> 99% of the time is not your timing. It's some crazy little thing. Yes, like stupid little thing. Mm -hmm. You run over your ruler, it's probably your timing. Ask you have to really like hit that. your ruler hard. Yeah. You know, other than that, it's usually not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one other good tip, too, on that, when you're having the tension problems and you post and, you know, 25 people tell you 25 different things to try, don't change four. No, one. one. Yeah. Like, try one and then stitch, then yes. put that back or what, you know, because I've done that. You know, you try all these things and now I changed so many things. I don't, you I don't know which one fixed it. it. Mm -hmm. That's probably the best piece of advice ever, Jody. Seriously, like one thing and then see, because then you right. never know what fixed it if you just do a whole bunch of random stuff. Yeah. And then also, if you're super frustrated, at least where I'm concerned, you know, because you try to figure it out, you can't even do nothing else because that's all that's on your mind to figure this thing out. You have to walk away, step away for whatever, 10 minutes and look at it again with fresh eyes. And normally it just happens. <laughs> yeah, just turn it on the next day and it'll be all fixed. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, but you look at it with fresh eyes and you can be more objectively, you know, thinking I also, about it. I keep a notebook stuff. of things I fix because sometimes the way I am, I'll be like, did I do that? Did I try this already? Did I not? So yeah. I'll write it all down. Like, and that way when I do call my dealer for support, I'm like, well, I did this. I did this. I did this. Not like, what did you do? I'm like, I can't remember. I did everything. <laughs> that doesn't help them, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and, and the other thing that I think, especially when we're talking about people posting their questions, is because you do get a, a just a, a, there's so many knowledgeable people that can help. Mm -hmm. But if you don't give the correct information in your question, you're likely not going to get the best responses. And so the more yeah. information that you can give in your questions, the, the better, you know, what size is your needle? What, you know, did you, did you just change it? You know, all, I mean, I can't even think of them, but as much information as you can possibly give in your question as possible is you're going to get better answers quicker mm -hmm. because then we have to pull that out of you. We have to say, okay, well, we need this information from you before we can help you diagnose what's going on. So then yeah. it just takes longer to get your answers to your questions, but, but yeah. And you know, um, before you even post something, you can always use the search function. I don't know how many people don't know about the search function of Facebook groups, because if you just type in a few keywords like yeah. thread, shredding, um, yeah. and so then what you can do is you can go through some of those questions and, um, I will personally look for Andrew Weaver's answers. <laughs> so, you know, if, if there's somebody that you can see that, that you trust, um, that's consistently giving good feedback, especially if the person who made the post follows up with a comment that says that worked, mm -hmm. you can read all of that and maybe find the answer to your question at two o'clock in the morning before having to 
write your post and wait for and then filter through to figure out what's the good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it is a really awesome resource. Got a little sidetrack there. Yeah. Um, one more question. One more question. Um, the question is just upgraded my machine to elevate and now I no longer have the post I used to hang my snips on lol what types of handy things have you added to your machine to keep needed items near hanging or other and this was just posted on the 6th of June so that's a really recent question and so I brought my um, my little I have that too have you got this yeah it's a, it's a magnetic hook so the magnets right here and the hooks on this side and I just put this on the end of my light bar and my scissors go they hang on it just like that because I used to put um, I used to wear a lanyard and put my scissors on a retractable thing around my neck and one day I got out of the shower and it looked like I had a big rash under my belly button I was like, what is going on with my skin? I've got all these red bumps everywhere. And it was, I was stabbing myself every time I leaned over the belly bar. I was stabbing. And my shirts had holes in them. You, I, I started to get, like, wear on my shirts. So I, I have one. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I have one on the front of my machine on my light bar. And now my scissors are never on my body, but they're, they're always there. And then I also have one at the back of the machine. There's a, there's a metal uh, bracket on just beside where the motor is. And, so, and it's just above where your thread cone is at the back of the machine. So I have another one there. And then that one's for just snipping the cone of thread so I can do a tie and pull through. So I never have to reach to the front to get my scissors. Mm-hmm. I have one on each end. I have to say. You and can use hooks. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that's a strong magnet. Yeah. yeah. What did you say, Karen? I have the little 3M, you know, the, yeah. I have some of those, this yeah. and it's a little hook mm-hmm. and I have them all, I stick them all over the place Everywhere. wherever I need. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. yeah. they're, they're inexpensive. I think they're, they're like six bucks or something or under $10 anyway. So. And, I'm, yeah. and, and I got mine at my, my gamble dealer. So probably check with yours and see if they have them get a couple at least. I've seen what two else? people will put um, a cone of thread, an empty cone of thread. Yep. And you know how the handlebars have that second little, little thing mm-hmm. okay. And I see people will put an empty cone of thread in there and okay. put their scissors in there. It, it's in like, my line of sight. Yeah, it bothers I can't me. have that mm-hmm. in my sight either. Yeah. But it mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. It works for some people. Yeah. And I still have to post. So I'll be using the post that she no longer has. So. <laughs> but sometimes you can find another little thing to hang them on. Just yet, you want to be careful if you're hanging on the top of your machine that the scissors aren't affecting your thread paths. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like hang them on this side. <laughs> and most often, I actually, mine are just, if I'm actually quilting, they're on I the don't hang them. They're just laying on the quilt next to me. Yep. I don't hang them back have, up. Unless you have to do the bounce test where you smack the quilt to watch your scissors bounce because the fabric's too busy, you can't find them. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go yeah, ahead. We've all done it, Sharon. We've all rolled up. <laughs> oh, scissors say. underneath. And then your <laughs> foot's coming up against your scissor, and you're like, why, why am I stopping? Mine are curved, and I've actually seen the fabric like, oh, as the curves push out the back. <laughs> <laughs> or rollers. Rollers are good for that. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. I'd rather do a ruler than the scissors up in there when you're rolling. Ugh. And the backing fabric on the pickup bar has got this little pointy section standing right now. <laughs> Sounds like we've done it all. <laughs> but that's good because some people think they're the only ones that do it. We that's right. No, do it. <laughs> and we still do, and it still happens. It doesn't matter how long. Oh, it still happens. So. I'll never forget. I was teaching one time and I was wearing a scarf. Oh, no. <laughs> well, the scarf got sucked into the, you know, because you just are floating everything. Yeah, I sewed my scarf right in there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Better keep your shirt on. Right? <laughs> That's well, this has been a really fun episode. I really enjoyed touching on all these little topics and... Um, yeah. You know, it, I, I hope it, it inspires some of you to uh, post some questions for us so that we can, can, can address them during our episodes. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. So thanks so much for watching and taking the time out of your day to spend with us. We appreciate it. And we will see you on the next episode of The Latest Thread. Bye. Bye. Bye.